Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, everyone. I'm Johnny. And hello, I'm Billy Bunga. And thanks to everyone who listened to our Bar Raid Race Review. If you missed it, don't worry, it's available for free wherever you get your pods. So go and check it out, if you please. And thanks to all of you who have been in touch with your questions so far. Stay tuned because we could be answering them in this episode as we lift the lid on Formula One. So, Johnny... Just to quickly, mate, you know, we're very new to this podcast business. The first couple of episodes, yes. you know, how do you think they've gone, mate? I'm really, really buzzing with the reaction we've had. Well, you've bored me to death so far, so uh, <laughs> I've got to get through the whole oh, season. Oh, right, is it like that, is it? Oh, thanks, <laughs> mate. You know, I come in here all upbeat and you bring me back down to reality. That's <laughs> <laughs> been really good. I've, I enjoy I love chatting about sort of what we're seeing sort of happening in qualifying and then in the race and everything else, having a bit of a chat between between ourselves and then obviously sharing that with everybody uh, out there. So no, I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying it and uh, we've only done one race weekend, many more to go, but looking forward to those. Yeah, plenty more episodes to go, more podcasts to come. Indeed. And uh, this podcast is all about you, the fans, the listeners back at home. So uh, let's get to your questions. So I'm going to kick us off with the first one. Well then. And it's going to be I want to go. It's going to. Be, it's aimed at you, Johnny. So I'm going to go straight in for be you. Be gentle. Be gentle with me, Johnny. What was the best Formula One car you ever drove? And that's from Dave. So right. straight into your heyday, mate. What's yes. the best car you got behind the wheel of? Well, the, well the, I guess it's got to be fun. Of course, winning winning races with the Benetton was great, but I'd never felt comfortable uh, with the car. So I wouldn't say the uh, the Benetton. Interesting. I had some nice times when I was at. Uh, Sauber, for example, uh, 97 especially when the car was very competitive. But the, the, it's always, I think, the best looking car I think I ever drove 
it was probably the 92 Lotus, the 107, when I was driving that with uh, Mika Hacken. It was, the suspension was like two meters wide. A real beast. The grip level, because you had the diffusers on the back of the car before they got chopped off after um, the unfortunate weekend in Imola with Ayrton and uh, Roland Ratzenberger. But they were just fantastic. They were the probably, probably the closest thing to to karting because I always remember we, this before power steering. So you'd go into most of the corners at Silverstone, for example, and you would turn that front steering wheel and you'd literally go, but a grip, the feedback you got from the car was just brilliant. We went through that stage of groove tires, hated those, the feeling just disappeared. But when we had the full slicks back in that, I say that 92 season, it was just awesome. Braking, still had a stick shift. You still had to sort of get the right heel and toe under braking, old school. school. I like that because the human element was a real big part. I keep saying about the human, the human element, but it is a very important part. And it gave back so much as well. So that 107, I have to say, was really good. Probably the second car I think I enjoyed driving actually was the Stewart. Because again, that was uh, a beautiful car. Of course, the the heritage of the family, the Stewart name being involved with it as well. And then luckily being able to win that race in uh, in Nürburgring as well. Have you driven any modern day Formula One cars, Johnny? This is just a question from no. me, mate. As a driver, I'm always interested in knowing, you know, obviously I didn't live through that generation and drive those cars that you did, you know, back when yep. you were racing Formula One. But yep. then you compare that to Formula One now and the cars they drive with all the technology and stuff. I always look back to the old days and think, you know, they're proper beasts and I'd love to be behind the wheel of one of them. I think they'd be more at my street, but... You've driven, I yeah. guess, some modern cars and some older cars. What do you? What's your thought on that side of things? Yeah, well, like like you, Billy, and like many of our our people listening in, uh, they weren't born uh, when I was racing, <laughs> so that makes it that makes it a little bit sort of uncomfortable uncomfortable for me. <laughs> but twenty thirteen, I think it's the 20, 2012, 2013 Michael Schumacher's Mercedes. That's the most recent car. Yeah, yeah most recent car I've driven. I only drove that up the. Up the hill at Goodwood. So I'd yeah. love to, like you, I'd love to have a go of one of the new ones just to see what they're like. Just to see with the complicated steering wheels that these cars have, like 24 buttons, but then there's like 100, 100 sub-menus. Yeah. My first Grand Prix car that I ever raced when I raced in Rio for Benetton had one button on the steering wheel. <laughs> Star button? <laughs> no, it had a radio button and a drinks button. <laughs> Just the simple things. That was it. That's that's all we had back then. So now, yes, I'd love to know what that's like, getting the whole procedure that you have to do to get it all up into a qualifying mode, for example, or when you put it in to qualifying mode. And then I'd like to know what these quite long wheelbased Formula 1 cars are like compared to my 107. It was a much shorter wheelbase back then. So I'd love to know what the feedback is. I reckon the the feedback would be very similar to what it was like back in those sort of 80s cars. Probably more refined, for sure. Uh, Probably a little more grip, for sure. But I think the fundamentals of it will be exactly the same. I think the one thing I will hate, Billy, is the power steering. I only did one season with that in Jaguar, and I hated that because I, I always wanted it to be a beast to drive. Really, really tough physically, but actually it gave you back a lot of, brilliant sensation so so i was very lucky that i got in that period of the 90s where the cars were still quite tough to drive physically 
what do you think of Formula One now? Is it? Do you think it's too complicated the way things are going? Do you think we need maybe to look at that that older era and how, like you say, you had to manhandle the car and it was a beast? And you know, do you think that those are days that there's an element we could get back to that a bit? Well, I get if you if you if you talk about the technology, I don't think there's any problem with the technology that we have on a modern day car. Yes, it's very complicated. Yes, it's it's pretty pretty expensive. But I think there's a lot of that that will eventually feed down into road cars as as formula one has always been able to do i think when we get to 2026 when the uh the fuel uh changes as well that's something that's going to be beneficial to everybody who's got a, a combustion engine and hopefully that will keep the life of the combustion engine going which i'm sure it will and formula one will be right on the forefront of that that development so so the technology as we've got with the cars is is still great for the drivers it's still demanding for the drivers if there's a few tweaks personally i would make and i always talk about the power steering i would take the power steering off personally yeah just because i think they have to be the most physically demanding cars because an f2 is more demanding than an f1 because they don't have power steering yeah i i've driven a formula 3 car as well one of the modern day formula 3 cars and that again, like you say, no power steering. You feel every bit of feedback through your yeah. hands, through through your arms. You know, I I love that as well. So I, as much as I haven't driven Formula One cars, you know, from the eighties and the nineties, I've experienced a modern day racing car without power steering, yeah. and I love that element of you know that you say you, you turn into a corner, you have to fight the car into the corner sometimes, but you get as a driver, you get so much back from the steering wheel. You can kind of almost you know you. You, your feel for yeah. the car can almost come through your hands as well as through your bum in the seat. You know, you can feel the, the front tires scrubbing across the surface if you've got some understeer and, you know, if it's too sensitive on the front and you're struggling to keep the rear yeah. in check. So I think that, you know, I always feel like with power steering, you kind of, you know, lose that sensation a little bit of what the car's doing underneath you. Yeah, and there is definitely an, uh, an element to that. And it's some, something, something I would I would definitely do. I know there's a lot of talk about you know, when we eventually get a, a female in, in Formula One as well. I think that, that would be not a problem for me to, to allow them to have the power steering, for example. But I think the men it should be where yeah. it should be tough. I just, and I just go back to what I always think a Formula One car should be. It should be the most difficult, not, not one of the easiest, because it's the ultimate. Yeah. And whilst we're on that sort of topic, what about DRS, mate? What do you think on DRS? Because, you know, that's introduced to make the racing better and we've seen obviously it, it you know in ba- action in Bahrain do you think there's a world in which Formula One that DRS disappears we've got a question from Henry saying has DRS killed Formula One or is it a necessary evil it's a necessary evil I agree I think it's a necessary evil I think yeah. you know it brings good action you know because following in modern day Formula One cars before the new set of regulations with all the dirty air people really struggled. It seems to be better with these new regs. We see closer racing, so which yeah. is good, which is what the fans want to see. But I think if you took the RS away from this weekend, just gone in Bahrain, I don't know if you'd have seen some of the, the special overtakes and the, the good moments that we got to witness. Yeah, that's and again, that's the unfortunate thing with, uh, with, a, with a winged Formula car. You know, there's always going to be that disturbed there. That disturbed there is always going to make it difficult to to follow close enough. It doesn't matter if it's a Formula 3 car. doesn't matter if it's a, an F2 car. And the same, obviously, with an F1 car. It's worse, of course, with an F1 car because it just produces that much more downforce and dirty air. But like you yeah. say, Billy, these new cars definitely are better. 
It does enable the drivers to get closer. Um, but you're still not in the perfect place to be able to still pass a car just through pure slipstream. Because the other thing that's changed, and I always remember this about 90, 98, 99. I remember following a Benetton, Giancarlo Fisichella in a Benetton when I was at Stewart, so it was 99. And I remember following him, and this was before DRS, um, and I was trying to get any slipstream. I got no slipstream effect at all. And it was almost like he just cut through the air and never made a big enough hole in the air for me to capitalize on slipstream. And I always remember that was the first time I'd never felt a slipstream effect from another car in front. So that's where the DRS comes into play. And what one thing they did do, I thought very well, was they did play with the with the DRS line when it was actually allowed to, to happen. And they delayed it by about 100 metres or so, something like that, going down towards turn one, just so no one breezed past easily. Yeah. The other, the other issue you've got as well, Billy, is there is there is the Red Bull at the front with the Ferrari, with the Mercedes, with the, the Aston Martins at the front end. Then you've got, say, let's say the Hasses at the bottom with a Williams, with an Alfa Tauri, with, um, uh, with an Alpine. They're very different than what it is at the front end because the front guys are producing much, much more. So they produce more downforce and arguably a bigger hole compared to the guys that are at the back that don't have the downfall. So they don't create the bigger hole. Yeah. The balance, the balance is very, very hard to do because they're all so different. So that's where they try and they've tried a little bit uh, uh, at the weekend to try and balance it out a little bit better. But I think overall, yeah, yeah. get rid of it, there'll be no overtaking. Yeah, I think the, the balance from what I saw in Bahrain, I think as a fan and as a viewer watching at home, it felt like, like you say, you weren't getting those overtakes where people were just breezing past people down the straight and there would be no action going on in turn one. But equally, we were still getting plenty of close racing. So I think as far as a start to the season with DRS, I feel like it kind of did its job and it created some good overtakes, some good racing. So I yeah. wouldn't go too too mad about it like you say i think it's just a bit of a necessary evil to support these modern day formula one cars to give us good racing yeah and uh yeah. you know that's all we want as fans we want to see good racing it's a necessity at the moment a necessity at the moment necessity yeah we've got a question and this is moving away from formula one but we've got a question about formula e and this is from martin and he said, how do you feel about formula e and would you have wanted or would you like to get involved in it and I guess I'll answer this one first because when I was racing Formula 3 and when I was making that sort of transition, trying to chase Formula 1 and, and get into yeah. Formula 1, this is when Formula E sort of had just first evolved into a, the championship that it is now. And at the time, it kind of felt like a duck out of water. You know, the electric racing, no noise. It yeah. kind of, for me, didn't really tick that many boxes, but you've seen the way that the world's moved on and you know the way that things are going in terms of cars on the road and stuff like that i think formula e is you know the electric technology it seems to be the way things are moving and yeah. the thing that interests me about formula e is you know the street racing you know you get a lot of close rubbing of wheels and and good action and also i just think the level of the field nowadays you get a lot of ex formula 1 drivers who find themselves in Formula E and that's their, almost their second chance and their chance to be fighting for a big championship still at the front. Uh, so I, I like Formula E in a lot of ways. I like the racing. I like the competitiveness. I like the fact that the order seems to get mixed up all the time. There doesn't seem to be 
an out and out favorite like we have in formula one where you know red bull dominate a weekend and then potentially will go on to dominate a season so i think yeah it formula east interests me that the noise factor still is something that i I think i'm always going to miss from electric racing because i remember the first time i ever went to a formula one grand prix back in 2007 again at silverstone and i had the big ear defenders on my (laughs) mum and dad took me and i was super excited just to go and watch and i remember just hearing the noise come past on the first lap and i didn't have my ear defenders on and my eyeballs felt like they were going to come out of my head and I just absolutely fell in love with Formula One from that one moment. Yeah. And I, so that's the only thing that, I don't know about you, Johnny, but that's the thing that it still misses for me. Yeah, noise is still a big part of motorsport. And, you know, these these modern day Formula One cars, um, very briefly, you know, they've made, they make better noise than they did when they initially came in with the hybrid. And now if you get the right angle behind the exhaust pipe, they actually sound very throaty, quite, quite, uh, quite nice, nice to hear. But for the younger generation that have only known these cars, you know, the difference between that 2007 era were just mind-bogglingly loud. They were, they almost made your ears bleed. They were so noisy. So there's a lot of people that haven't heard the old ones. Now and again, they do come out onto onto the track. Uh, and give you a little bit of an idea of what the noise used to be like. But it's not a bad noise now, I have to say. Yeah, it's getting better. It's getting better, yeah. Formula E itself, it has a place in in motorsport. And as you said, the technology of road cars at the moment is going down the electric route, and that's why we've got it. I like the racing, like you said. I like the, the sort of the rubbing that the drivers do, the crashes that happen as well, and it makes it entertainment, entertaining. Yeah. Sometimes you go, why? Why? And how did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes with the incidents that do happen. Yeah. Uh, the street circuits, some say, oh, the street circuits are rubbish. They're not very good. But it doesn't matter. It's still very, very demanding uh, and testing for a driver. It doesn't matter what the track's like. If it's bumpy or smooth, I prefer the bumpy, to be perfectly honest, because that makes it yeah. more difficult. More of a challenge. To drive. More of a challenge. Exactly. So so it's got its place. I, the when I When I watch it, on TV sometimes, I hate that high-pitched squeal yeah. that comes from the electric motor. I do hate that. <laughs> but uh, the racing I like, it's got a place, and it's it's good to be, you know, good to be there and another another chance, which is very important, another chance for some of the guys who were very good in F2, for example, who didn't quite make it into Formula 1, even if they were good enough, just yeah. timing didn't happen for them. There is something else out there for them to to race as well. And earn from it as well, so they do get an you know uh, an okay wage out of it, which is good. But they're still racing a single seater car, very different, yes, than what they probably dreamt of. But the challenge uh, is still there as well, and it's and it's something that I've always in, enjoyed being around when I've been to only a couple of races. But it's it's a nice environment, and I, I like the drivers because they're very relaxed, very easy to talk to in the paddock, and they're always around in the paddock as well. Yeah, it's a lot more relaxed than the Formula One world, isn't it? It's yeah, a different yeah. atmosphere entirely. Yeah, it is. So so yeah, so it's good. It's got its place. Yep. Formula E definitely has its place in the world of motorsport. And we'll have more of your questions in just a second. Hey it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So let's get back to your questions. Got one from Roman, and this is completely off topic from what we've been talking about in terms oh, of right. motorsport. If you weren't racing drivers, <laughs> what would you be? So, Johnny, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Uh, I'll go first because mine's quite simple. Uh, Dustman. Dustman. <laughs> <laughs> You're Where's expecting that, that wasn't not it? what I was expecting to hear. Go on, you got to fill us in with a bit more info here. Well, information. Information was when I was at school, I, my main focus was, was karting. Yeah. So my focus was never on the work. It was in the, in the classroom at all. And I... And I, I always struggled a little bit, but it's only because I think I didn't focus enough. So if I hadn't got myself into into motorsport, but probably more importantly, uh, Formula One, um, I think a dustman would have been sort of something I would have been, uh, been okay at. <laughs> I would have been okay at being a dustman. I did like working on a lathe and milling machine, engineering. I did, I did enjoy that side. I did go for a couple of interviews, but I never got them. <laughs> so I never got those either. Are you, are you sure you liked that whole industry? Because I thought in our, our other podcast, you mentioned about a couple of injuries you picked up from being around a lathe. Ah, yes. But the story of that is it wasn't me who mucked up on the lathe. It was one of those that had a clutch, had a sort of an arm on top of the lathe. So, the, so I'd been turning a little bit of metal. I then stopped on the clutch with the, with the, uh, with the handle. And as I was going in to undo the chuck, some smart Alex had bet bet each other that was it turned on or was it turned off? So they went up to it, had a bet. Now I reckon it's turned off. I reckon it's turned on. So they then got hold of the handle as my hands on the chuck and then moved it. And of course it was still turned on. And so the chuck with the, with the T bar that I was using to try and get the piece of metal out, then just took off and it cut it off on the bed on the lathe itself. So it wasn't my fault. It was some wallies who sort of had a <laughs> bet together just to see, was, was it switched off? Was it switched off? That's what it was. A practical joke gone wrong, maybe. Sort of. <laughs> I don't know if it was a practical joke, but I don't think. Just idiotic. <laughs> <laughs> right. What about me? I don't know if I can live up to that, mate. I was not expecting you to come up with uh, being the dustman. <laughs> I mean, I was all right at school, but same as you. I'd say I was quite easily distracted. I remember you yes. know, being sitting classes and I would be drawing drawing racing lines on my like notepad yes. you know like of, like designing my own tracks doing all of that stuff you know I feel like motorsport definitely was in my head a lot when I was at school but I was actually quite good at I'd say with numbers I, I actually think most of that comes from 
go-karting and racing. Ah. Yeah, I actually think because, you know, you're always talking about tenths of a second, you know, you're always talking in that sort of number world, lap time, is this, that, and the other. So I think that potentially, like, going into something that involved me, you know, being good in that department. In the city? No, that was what I was going to say. As much as I was good with numbers, though, I don't think I could see myself doing a nine-to-five, like, in working in an office, because... <laughs> If I'm completely honest, yeah. that that doesn't appeal to me. I don't think I'd be able to sit still and, you know, keep myself actually engaged in there. I was good at it, but that doesn't mean I was necessarily going to be, you know, super engaged and a good a good worker in that department. I think sport for me is massive. Loved sport at school. So maybe if I wasn't a racing driver, I would have pursued another sport. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I did I was I was outdoors. Yeah. With my job selection. I would always been outdoors, which would have been pretty Pretty good fun, to be perfectly honest. Um, what else have we got? I'll tell you what, I've got one here from Alex. Thoughts on how, we've discussed it a little bit, but how Logan Sargent did at the weekend as he coming along. What do you think? I I think Logan, you know, there's, you know, he's got a lot of expectation on him in a lot of ways. You know, being an American driver, you've got three races in America this year, a lot of pressure, new to Formula One. Yeah, exactly. And... He's got a good track record, but he hasn't won Formula 2. And a lot of the drivers, you know, that we see on the grid, they win Formula 2 and that's how they earn their seat. So I think there's there's always there was always going to be, before this season started, that sort of thought that, you know, how is he going to fare? Has he got the credentials to, you know, warrant a spot on the grid? But I was really impressed with him, but I thought he did a, a mega job, you know, didn't make any big mistakes, have any huge offs, sort of did his work under the radar, kept Alex Albin honest, you know, throughout the race I think as debuts go I think Williams I, I don't know what they would have been expecting from him what they saw on the simulator and what they kind of were preempting but I think they would have it's almost best case scenario he's delivered I think on the higher end of what they would have been hoping for yeah yeah I think so again if you do the three rookies Oscar Piastri yeah Logan Sargent obviously but Nick De Vries. Nick De Vries in some way now I don't know the whole story but Nick De Vries was sort of a bit disappointed actually because I thought he was going to be very much closer to Sonoda but but he wasn't he was sort of you know always sort of a little bit a little bit sort of down the back end of the of the grid a bit a bit of a strange one from that Oscar Oscar did a good job actually I have to say it was a shame that he didn't quite sort of pan out for him in the race but but I think to the to the the question itself Logan has I think impressed me in one race. I think he really achieved a, a, a very good result. Impressed a lot of people. I think has sort of made people sit up and take note. Yeah, that's always a very important thing. Yes, there's a lot of pressure on his shoulders. It was a good result for him, so it's only going to bode well for him with the cup races coming up. But of course, when he has his three options of uh, of, of of his home Grand Prix, so. Yeah, I I was I was I was impressed what he did, and I think he's uh, he's done a a fine fine job uh, so far. His trainer Benny yeah. actually trained me after my accident and got me back up to speed in terms of in the racing world. And I know that they've been working really hard on yeah. getting him physically and mentally prepared for the season as best as possible. As you know, Johnny driving a Formula One car and the challenges that come with it. There's a lot of physical elements to it, a lot of mental elements to it, and you can't really replicate it as much as you train and do all these different things, reaction drills and stuff like this to, you know, get yourself as alert as possible. The best thing for a driver to prepare themselves for, you know, being yeah. out there for yeah. one car and racing is just laps, laps after lap after lap. And um, that's something that Logan hasn't got. He hasn't got that experience in a Formula One car, just a pre-season. 
and you know straight into the mix this weekend i thought he did a a good job and uh yeah i think plenty more things to come from all three rookies i think logan had a, the best weekend out of all three of them like you say nick the freeze and oscar not quite living up to what we were expecting but you know there's 22 more races for them to to prove their worth but good start for logan and we've got another question here and this is from paisley and paisley is the first is a two part of this one two parter double yeah two parter <laughs> mate double apex this one first apex if you were putting together your dream driver pairing who would you choose and well, let's answer that one first and then we'll come back to the second part okay got a dream driver pairing a dream driver pairing well i think uh, you've, you've got to go for max uh yeah because you know max is just dynamite when he's on the he's track in a world of his own right now yeah but he's got a brilliant sense of humor as well and that's important as well when he's out of the car he is so laid back yeah he really enjoy he enjoys being there there's some others that sort of you know they're a bit awkward and you don't see them so often they sort of only see they're only seen where they go out of the hospitality unit flicking across to get to the get, get to the car the garage, the engineer, yeah. engineers but yeah, and Max a little bit less so because obviously he's, he's a popular lad in the in the paddock with the fans. But uh, yeah, he'd always be sitting outside. I remember uh, with his dad, and you could sort of sit down and have a chat with him. So so I like his sense of humour, which is really good. And then right now, who would I then have up against? Who are you sticking up next to him? Yeah, and I, again, oh sorry for him already. <laughs> <laughs> again, I'm going to do it on sense of humour. But I'm going to do it on confidence. I'm going to do what he's achieved in a very short space of time. George. I'd go for George at the moment. George and Max. It's a difficult one. Yeah, it's a difficult one. I'm not going to lie, Johnny. I can see big clashes with George and Max. I can see see that being fireworks. Oh, I'd like that as well. (laughs) That's exactly what we want. (laughs) What about you again? Go on then. Yeah. Tell us. Tell us. Okay, what what do I reckon? I mean, I've been teammates with George, so that would be the easy option to say George is one of those two. But you're not. But yeah, no, I'm going to go a little bit different again. I, I would love to see a driver pairing of Max Verstappen again, just because, like you say, there's a lot of, he's got a lot going for him at the minute in Formula 1. He's the best. He's the best of them. Yeah, I'd like to see him tested properly. Yeah, I mean, on, then. I on, think... Then. Drum roll. Drum roll, please. Fernando Alonso, stick the old boy in there with Max Verstappen. Now, if that hasn't got fireworks written all over it, I don't know what has. I could have said Lewis because them two, that's a bit of a frosty relationship. So, again, that could have been a bit tasty. That's a very frosty. That's a real frosty relationship, you know. You, you wouldn't want to be working or sort of in between those two drivers in that team. You know, they'd be definitely one side of the garage and another. They'd be pretty separate. Um, so, you know, Lewis was a consideration, but I think... Alonso, after what he showed this weekend, I'd just like to see the old tricks coming out. If he could get in Max Verstappen's head, I think that, that's got a good yeah, bit of a, a dynamic to it. Yeah, I could do a little twist of this. Of this. So we're, we're going to go for Max, both of us. Yeah. From the, from the drivers of old, Yeah. who would you throw in there as a teammate to Max? Uh, drivers of old. It's got to be Ayrton Senna because... He, for me, is one of my heroes. I absolutely loved Ayrton Senna. I mean, everyone in the world of Formula One absolutely appreciates what an unbelievable talent he is. And I think, you know, we always appreciate how quick and cool, calm, collected Max is. I like the fact that, you know, Senna used to drive with a bit of a bit more emotion to it. He used to, you know, 
you know, he'd get a bit shouty on the radio. Yeah, didn't he just? Yeah, I, I, but I like that. And I think that, you know, them two on a Saturday and qualifying with the same equipment going head to head with each other, that, you know, that would be cool to watch. Yeah. And uh, I think I'd go to one of the gentlemen off the sport, a man that would be driving Formula One cars at the at one weekend and then would be driving a tractor at the next, uh, Jimmy Clark. Yeah. I think Jimmy, we never really, I never saw him race because obviously it's before my top, before both of our times, probably before most of our, our times. But from what I understand, from a raw talent, raw, he was he was unbelievable what he did with a race car, you know, because it wasn't just F1 that we saw Jimmy uh, doing fantastic things with. I remember that Lotus Cortina as well that he used to race and win quite comfortably in that. My dad's favourite car, that is. Yes, uh, indeed it is. I'd see yeah, that go around Crystal Palace. I remember the racetrack they used to have there. It just looked brilliant. So I'd go for Jimmy just because t- completely different type of character and a character that is very much a guy that would be able to get the complete best out of Max Verstappen, but in a very, very quiet way. Yeah, I like that. So Jimmy Clark for me. Okay, that's. I think we've got some decent driving pairings there, mate. I mean, we've just basically listed some of the greats of so. the I sport. Think so. I think we've, yeah, we've covered ourselves up Indeed. pretty nicely there. And now Paisley's follow-up question. Are there any of the current Formula 2 or Formula 3 drivers that you think will have the potential to be Formula 1 drivers. So out of the F2, the F3 grid, who are we thinking can make it? Who's got what it takes to be in Formula 1? And I'll go first. Yeah. And this is coming from a point of view. I've got, I know a few of these guys, obviously, you know, I've raced against some of them yeah. and sort of been around the paddocks. And actually someone that's got a lot of promise that I played a small role in terms of the air, their early development, because so I used to do a bit of driver coaching and go-karts yeah. when I was about 17 years old, 16 years old, is Ollie Behrman. So Ollie Behrman, who came third in the Formula 3 Championship last year, he's moved up to F2 with Prema. Yeah. He, for me, was a super talented driver in go-karts. I had the pleasure of, like I say, driver coaching him and sort of being a little bit in, involved in his journey. And I think if he can deliver on the the talent that I think he's got, he'll he'll be right in the mix come the end of the season in F two. So what has he got then that you feel will enable him to to get into F one? Do you know what it was, Johnny? In go karts, and obviously this is where you know most of the up and coming drivers. You know that's where we they all start their craft. But he could do things with a go kart that not many people could do. He would push the limits on a regular basis and sometimes he'd get it wrong he would outbreak himself he'd run wide and you'd think what have you done that for but you know in those early years where you're kind of learning how you can kind of see the drivers that are willing to push the limits a little bit more and find out you know where the limits are and the ones that never quite want to you know they they get in that comfort zone and they're worried about locking up and going wide he was never worried about that he had so much confidence in himself that whatever he would do however he would chuck the car into the corner that it was going to come off and that was something that I realized quite early on and sometimes is sort of driving like coach I would have to rein him back in I found myself reining back in a few times going listen mate just bring that braking zone five yards over back and it will set you up for the exit and you'll be flying but I, I always respected the fact that he would always try and be last of the late breakers he would always push it the entry as much as possible and I think you've 
you always hear about the likes of Lewis Hamilton, that that is one thing in his career that he's always had over other drivers. He's always been known as the last of the late breakers. And I think there is something to that in terms of the confidence that he showed me from quite a young age. So he's my my one to throw in there. Yeah, uh, Paul Cher, I have to say, in F2. Theo, is it Theo? Theo Porsche, uh, 20 year typical old. Typical Johnny. Theo Porsche yes. won the first race in the F2 season. Yes. Glory Hunter, I'm going to start calling you. <laughs> I've liked what he's been able to do from when he was, what, 16, 17 years old? And his ability to absorb all the pressure. I think the pressure yeah. is something that he's been able to really uh, control. And I think being able to do that will only help him when he gets hopefully that chance uh, in, in F1, because obviously he's in the Sauber Academy, no. uh, Alfa Romeo. Yeah, I do agree, Johnny. He's got a lot of talent. He's got a lot of talent, and I think it'd be very be very interesting to see what exactly he will be able to achieve over this 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 coming season, because this is the season that it's all got to be perfect for him. Yeah, this is make Stand or break, out. isn't it? This Stand is his, yeah. his year where he needs to deliver the F2 Championship, and he started the season in... Yeah, unbelievable form. I mean, I watched the feature race on on Sunday morning and he absolutely just tore away from yeah. the whole field. And yeah, Very really impressive. impressive stuff from from Porsche. I, I've, I've got a little bit of experience from going up against him because my first ever FIF free oh, test yeah. Um, yeah. in Valencia, I was I was with Carlin and it was me, Theo Porsche yeah. and Dan Tictum on day one of the test. I Unfortunately for me, I didn't get to really throw myself up against those two because I had a blown gearbox within two push laps of the start of the right. day and that was me out for the rest of the day. So right. typical luck. I went out to Valencia, did two laps on the first day. The second day was better, but it was wet running. So in the dry I only did two yeah, two push laps. But yeah, no, he was uh he was fast. He was still very raw I'd say at that age because he's quite young still. And um I think now this year in F two it's sort of the stage where he's you'd expect him to be pretty matured and be ready to put it together for a title, I'd say. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'll tell you what, I've enjoyed the questions that we've had thrown our way. Yeah, there's been some good ones in there. If you want to ask ask, ask us questions, actually, about the guys that are doing F2, you know, who we think during the season you think may have a chance of getting into Formula 1. Cause I always find that fascinating, that F2, just to see exactly what and how that talent develops throughout a, throughout a season. Because they're the next, they're the next ones that we're going to see on the grid. Yep, they're going to be replacing the the older generation, the older boys, or whoever doesn't quite yeah, make eventually. the cut in Formula One. Yeah, that's that's how it all goes. So brilliant! Thank you so much for everyone for getting your questions to us and your comments yeah. on Formula One. Thank you. That's been really fun. I've enjoyed answering those questions. Some good ones in there, and I think we'll be expecting plenty more across the season as we we get into it. I hope so. Hopefully, we get some more anyway. But if you have got more. <laughs> Just make sure to send it to us at Lift the Lib Pod. And yep. we'll be back in just a couple of days when we're going to look ahead, Johnny, to race two of the season. Yep. We're going to look ahead to Saudi Arabia, what to expect off the back of Bahrain. And in the meantime, you know what to do. Give us a follow. And whilst you're at it, leave us a review. Tell your friends, family, your dog if you like <laughs> about us. Spread the word and let's help lift the lid on this wonderful sport. This is a Soapbox London and SBX Studios production. Our executive producers were Rowan Wilkinson and Andy Bell.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.